give you an idea of where we're going here, Jesus has just fed the, uh, done the miracle of the feeding the 5,000. Uh, he has also just walked on water. And so uh, we have seen two back-to-back amazing miracles in the Gospel of John. And then following, following the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus actually had to slip away from the crowd because at that point, the people, the crowds were wanting to make him king. There was a hunger at that point in time for, for someone to rise up, for a leader to rise up um, in military fashion, really, to um, overpower the Roman authorities. And they saw this Jesus who was performing these miracles, and they believed that he was the one to do this. And so Jesus actually slipped away at the time. And following that is when he walked on water. Now, what we are going to read about in John chapter 6, or at the end of John chapter 6, is um, an account of really a sad scene. Because following these miracles, uh, the crowds, the Jewish crowds, are wanting Jesus to perform other miracles with food um, that would, uh, one, give them a sign, but also so that they could eat. And they could eat in an easy fashion. Um, based on a miracle. And so Jesus is actually responding to this to say that you need more than physical food. And this is where uh, Jesus makes it clear that he is the bread of life. And we'll actually read, uh, read about that in John chapter 6. So keep that in mind as we start in verse 49 of John chapter 6. Let me pray for us now. Father, bless our time in... The word, and I pray as we look at look at your word and look at the words of Christ, that they would be meaningful in our heart, that they would move our heart, that they would cause us to look at the Lord's Supper in a different way, uh, maybe in a more meaningful way, and in a more powerful and in a more expectant way. So, Father, we pray that you would work by your Spirit and through your Word now. In Christ's name, amen. John chapter 6. I'll start in verse 48, actually. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, 
They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? This is the word of the Lord. You know, this is a hard saying. Because what we have is this leader that people are recognizing something in him that is different and spiritual and powerful. And, and they're willing to follow him. And there, there's a great crowd here at this time. But here is a leader that is telling the crowd that they must eat his flesh and then drink his blood. And so it's a hard saying. And in fact, it's one that would make us all... Um, uh, it would make us all question what's going on. And it might even make us all be a part of the mass of the crowd that actually left, that was unwilling to continue to follow this man who was calling on the people to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And so we are faced with a very hard part of Scripture that makes us wonder what is Jesus trying to get across. And yet, this is what we say every time we administer the Lord's Supper, even though we may be a little more careful with our words or try to, be, or try to have a, a good explanation, Kevin or I, whenever we administer the Lord's Supper, are saying this very thing, to feast on the flesh of Christ and to drink His blood. And so what are we doing at communion? And this is an important thing for us to go through at least once a year. Because just like baptism, our church may look at communion a little bit differently than a church that you came from or a way that you were familiar with before. And so I want us to look at a few things about this and about what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 6 and to ask, what do we do when we take it? What are we proclaiming when we take it? And is this just a symbolic event that we do to recognize something? Or to remember something? Or is there some kind of magical transformation that takes place as Kevin or I bless the bread and bless the juice? Now when Kevin and I were ordained to minister to... Uh, this church, and to the church at large, our primary way of ministering to people is we are called to minister to, through word, through sacrament, and through prayer. And as a matter of fact, we are called to um, count on those very things that have been ordained by Christ. We have, been, we have been called to count on those very things to be the primary way in which salvation is communicated to the church. And though we can forget that sometimes, and believe that other things are more important. These are the primary ways in which Christ would communicate His Word and His grace to His church. Word, sacrament, and as we are involved and, we, and as we lead in prayer. We actually take vows to give our lives to these things, to put them above all other things. And so that means that the Lord's Supper, this, this sacred time, is something that we need to give focus to. And it's certainly something that we need to understand and embrace. So first of all, as we look at this, as we consider this passage, and as we think about the Lord's Supper, we need to understand that this bread represents the body of Christ and that this juice represents the blood of Christ. And this is to say, and it's important to say that as we do that, that we do not believe in any way or form 
or fashion that this literally becomes Jesus at this moment. Or that it becomes Jesus even as you ingest it. Nor do we believe that Jesus literally, physically rests above or below or around the elements. And as a matter of fact, and we've done this on accident a number of occasions, if I were to drop a piece of the bread or if I were to spill a portion of the cup, I would not panic, nor should you panic that the body or the blood of Christ has just spilled on the floor and is capable of being stepped on or crushed. However, we should also see that there is a supernatural supernatural thing going on as we take communion. It is a special time and it is a unique time that invites the presence of Christ in. I remember when I was a young boy, and I'm very glad, by the way, that my mom and her husband Bob are here visiting us from Alaska today. Um, But I mention that because I, I remember as a young boy, I was probably my daughter's age, Ellie's age, around five or six, and I wanted to take communion. I think I probably more, more, more than likely was thirsty or hungry, and so I wanted to take part in the sacrament. And I remember my mom would not let me take it. And then after church, I remember going up to her and saying, Mom, I don't get what the big deal is. It's a cracker. It's a little cup of juice. Why can't I take part? And I remember her saying, that is proof you have just made my point that you are not ready to take communion. And I was, I was certainly not looking at it as a supernatural um, work that was happening. And I definitely wasn't looking at it as a way in which Christ would communicate His grace and His salvation to me. I want to read a couple of things, and they'll be on the screen in front of you, some quotes that I've come across over the years about the Lord's Supper from from John Calvin. And so I want to read two of those. And the first one is this, and I want us to keep in mind that what he is stressing here is that this is a supernatural work, that there is something happening, that something happens to you and to our church when we take communion together. This is what he said. There are some who define eating of the flesh of Christ and the drinking of His blood to be in one word nothing more than believing in Christ Himself. But Christ seems to me to have intended to teach something more sublime in that noble discourse in which He recommends eating His flesh. So Calvin is referring to John chapter 6. That we are quickened by the true partaking of Him which he designated by the terms of eating and drinking, lest anyone should suppose that the life which we obtain from him is obtained by simple knowledge. So here's what Calvin is wanting to stress. That when we take the bread and when we take the juice, it is not that we are simply looking, only looking back to something that happened 2,000 years ago or something that happened in our life Whenever we, can, whenever we were born again, that when we take communion, there is something that happens at that moment, that there is a giving of Christ to us at that moment, that when we partake, there is a quickening that happens. And so therefore, 
We look for it to be a great work. We also look to recognize the power at work there for those that, that do not take it in a worthy manner. And we warn. We actually ask people, if you do not believe in the power of, of what's going on here, we ask that you refrain from taking it. Or if you are not born again, we ask that you would refrain from taking of the bread and the juice. And then, and this is actually the quote that I was looking for when I found the first one. When I, while I was in seminary, I read this section of, of the Institutes of the Faith. And ever since then, I have always thought about communion differently and I have always taken it differently ever since I read the following. Though it seems an incredible thing that the flesh of Christ, while at such a distance from us in respect of place, should be food to us, let us remember how far the secret virtue of the Holy Spirit surpasses all our conceptions and how foolish it is to wish to measure its immensity by our feeble capacity. Therefore, what our mind does not comprehend, let faith conceive that the Spirit truly unites things separated by space, that sacred communion of flesh and blood by which Christ transfuses His life into us just as if it penetrated our bones and marrow, He testifies and seals in the supper and that not by presenting a vain or empty sign but by their exerting an efficacy of the Spirit by which He fulfills what He promises. Now, and I know that's a lot, and please feel free to ask me for either of those quotes if you would like to read those or study those further. But please understand that he's saying that by faith, we truly do feast on Christ in that moment. That that is something that takes place, and it's there for the body of Christ. It's there for you to feast on your Savior and to be strengthened by Him. So... We should know that God works through these elements in a unique and a mighty and, as has been clear, in a very mysterious way. A way in which our minds can't necessarily grasp, yet God calls us to have faith in this mystery, to embrace it with faith. So let us not ever casually partake. And, and let us, if you have been partaking in a memorialistic way, let us move beyond that to recognize that this is a time for the Spirit to fill us and to move us and to strengthen us. I also just want to look at a couple of catechism questions that talk about the Lord's Supper. And the first one is just simply, what is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a sacrament, so it's sacred. This means it's set apart, wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine according to Christ's appointment, which is to say this is an ordinance or it's been ordained by Christ to the church. His death is showed forth and the worthy receivers are, not in a physical manner, but by faith, made partakers of His body and blood with all His benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. And then a very important question that we should all Ask ourselves what is required to receive the Lord's Supper. It is required of them that would worthily partake of the Lord's Supper 
that they examine themselves of their knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of their faith to feed upon Him, of their repentance, love, and new obedience, lest coming unworthily they eat and drink judgment to themselves. So there's a great warning there. But that's also a call to say that if you need Him, then come and eat and drink. If you are struggling with doubt, come and eat and drink. This is meant to be a means of His grace. So know that the act of eating and drinking, if you come up, this is not an act that will save your soul. As a matter of fact, the Bible clearly warns against someone that is not already in the gospel, in Christ, warns against partaking. And so if you're not saved, or if you are a child who has not professed faith in Christ, then we would always humbly ask that you not partake and wait until the time is right when Christ is in you. But does this mean that you should be perfect or that you should be without sin or that you should feel uh, completely worthy to take of the supper? This is not what that is saying. This is saying, are you worthy in the sense of do you recognize what Christ has done? Do you recognize His broken body and His shed blood? And do you recognize that you desperately need that broken body and that you desperately need that shed blood for you? And so, with a repentant heart, and with an, a, a heart of assurance that Christ has died for you, it's a call to, be, to come prepared to feast on Christ and to recognize our need for Him. So lastly, as we close here before Kevin comes up, if you're physically hungry, okay, because this is what was going on in Jesus' day. The people were coming to Him and wanting another miracle. If you're physically hungry... I'll give you the same response that Jesus gave them. If you eat of this, if you eat of this little piece of bread or this little wafer, you're still going to be hungry. You're still going to be physically hungry. If you're thirsty, if your mouth is dry and the juice comes by and you drink it, you're still going to be physically thirsty. Your mouth will still be dry. But expect two things as you take the Lord's Supper. One, expect a greater awareness of the gospel. And the way that you do that is you take the bread and you recognize that this represents the broken body of Christ. Expect to recognize that it was broken for you. And it had to be broken for you. And that there was no other way. And therefore the Lord's Supper is meant to give us a greater awareness of the gospel. And then second. Expect a new type of strength. And expect that when we feed on the body of Christ, and when we partake of His cleansing blood, that we'll be spiritually nourished. So expect a new strength. And, and this is the kind of strength that we should expect. It's like trying to lift a piano by yourself. And then all of a sudden, four other people come around the corner to help you lift it. This is what communion should be like because what it means is, is that you're united to Christ as we've already said, but you're also united to the church. You're united to the saints. 
you're united to the body. And therefore, it's, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you become this spiritual giant. It means you recognize that you're tied to something greater. That you're, eti- you're tied to the church of the past. And in some mysterious way, you're tied to the church in the future. And that's your strength. As Christ is your head. And so that's what we should expect as we take the supper. And so we're going to do it differently today. We're not going to have it handed, passed down the aisles as we normally do. Kevin is going to invite you up to come when you're ready. And he's actually going to administer the bread and the juice at the same time. And so he is going to call on you to take it when you're ready for you to do this on your own or as a family, however you see fit to take it when you're ready, when you feel like God is calling you to feast on Christ. Let's pray. Join them.